This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. As usual, it is Drew here with Josh and Connor catching you up all things on the crazy world of Major League Soccer as it happens, both here in the United States and all over the place as players play abroad and national teams get down to business. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the MLS Multiplex podcast. Um, but before we get into another fun episode of Talking All Things, MLS as the offseason happens and begins to wind down because soccer is right on the horizon here in the States and in Canada before we get into another awesome episode talking about that, uh, it's been a pretty eventful and busy week, I think, in our lives. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but Connor, how it's been a week since we've talked last, so how has the last seven days been treating you in Toronto so far? It's uh, been good. Toronto, uh, we're going back into shutdown, as they're calling it, on Friday night at well, 12.01 on Saturday. Uh, because cases are rising across the entire province, so which is, for American listeners, the equivalent of a state. So we're going back into a lockdown because the provincial government hasn't done a very good job at keeping things controlled and keeping people in safe places and getting vaccines into people as well. That has not gone very well, but I won't continue my criticisms of the provincial government and instead uh, mention the fact that I had two assignments due on Monday, which both handed in. Uh, I got an assignment due on, on Easter, which if you're listening to this on Easter, happy Easter. Um, and yeah, getting really close to the end of the semester. We got like next week's our second last week of classes. Uh, before we start exams, of which I have two on the 22nd and 29th. Uh, so that's fun. But Josh, you don't have to deal with exams, and all you have to deal with is a sore arm right now. So how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I am doing very well, as Connor alluded to with the uh, sore arm comment. I got my first dose of the vaccine today, so super, super excited about that. I already have the date down, May 15th. That's when I'll have hit my two-week mark past the second dose. So I'm like, I'm like, I've already got that date in my head. I'm thinking about it a lot, what it's going to be like when I'm almost 
immune to the to the coronavirus that has wrecked our world for the last, you know, it's been 13 months now, which is insane because some parts of that feel like they were yesterday and some parts feel like they were five years ago. Time is, is wacky. But, um, yeah, other than that, it was, it was a pretty good week. I, a lot of the stuff I've been doing teaching wise, uh, kind of wrapped up this past Saturday. So that was really cool. Uh, all my, students did very well at their competition on Saturday and they had a good time and and that was definitely the best part for me it did leave me with a lot of free time in quotes this week which I got to fill with a lot of adult bs so that's what I got to take care of this week (laughs) just a just a lot of stupid stuff with my with my taxes and my identity and the stimuli it's just it's a whole mess and uh I want to be angry at the IRS, but I can't be because I know they're underfunded and it's not really their fault. So it's uh, kind of a lose-lose situation for us. But baseball is back. The Braves played the first game today. It was very nice to watch baseball that mattered. And they lost, you know, typical Atlanta fashion. The Hawks are playing right now and they are winning against the San Antonio Spurs, but pretty sure that by the end of us recording this podcast, they'll have also lost this game. Uh, they're playing without John Collins, Connor, you know about that with his injury. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a good week today, especially it's been a pretty good day, pretty good day for me. Drew, how's your week been? You excited about Braves baseball being back? How's school treating you as well? Yeah, I very happy today. I did nothing but watch major league baseball. I started my day off sitting on my couch watching Connor's Toronto Blue Jays play the New York Yankees, which the Jays won. So that was exciting. I uh, don't like the Yankees at all. But, yeah, they got to watch the Braves lose, which that sucked. Um, I think there's a game at 10 o'clock tonight. Get some West Coast action going on. So baseball is back, Major League College, so that is really exciting. School has been – you ever have those phases of school where you've, you haven't done anything and you know it's going to bite you in the butt in a couple weeks? That's where I'm at right now. Yep. Like the past yep. two days, I have done nothing. Like today – I woke up, went on a run, came back, showered, sat on my couch, watched baseball. And the next time I got up from my couch was to make hot dogs so I could eat those while I watched the Braves. And then I sat back on my couch and watched the rest of the Braves game, got ready for this. So I have done nothing today. And I'm afraid I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to remember a lot of things I should have done today. But as of right now, I'm living life, man, watching baseball, uh, getting ready for MLS. This is the last episode without some form of MLS that we have. The next episode we have, we will talk about actual games that happened. It won't be MLS games, but MLS will be involved in said games. So we've made it through the offseason. We've made it. So now we actually have games to talk about. So I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited about watching Elaine United and other teams get absolutely destroyed in CONCACAF Champions League, which we will talk about later throughout the episode. Before we get into that, the normal. We had some uh, transfers and signings in Major League Soccer. One, this one was pretty recent. I just saw this one today. Um, FC Dallas. I don't know if it is official or still rumored, um, but it looks like they're transferring defensive midfielder Thiago Santos to Gramio. Yeah, it was confirmed today too by the uh, by Dallas. So that is for sure done. Okay, and it looks like they're pocketing one to two million. The report I saw was one to one point three million. So somewhere around that range. Um, so FC Dallas continue to ship out players. Um, Gremio is in the Brazilian 
Serie A, I think is the name of the league. I don't know. I think I saw they're about fifth or sixth in Brazil. So that's really cool. Maybe MLS starting a relationship with Brazil. That's kind of been a thing in the offseason with Brenner coming to FC Cincinnati from Brazil and now Dallas sending Thiago Santos to Brazil. So that's really exciting. Um, LAFC, this is not confirmed, but this is another reported thing. LAFC reportedly received an offer from Palmeiras for Edward Atuesta. Uh, also another club in Brazil, Palmeiras won Copa Libertadores this past round that they had. So one of the best clubs in Brazil, in South America in general. So that's really exciting for LAFC. Um, maybe, maybe not exciting, depending on how you look at it. I don't know. But we'll, 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 we'll come back around to all these transfers and we'll talk more about it. Um, Inter Miami, Enzo Zidane. Zidane? Right. Zidane? Really? Dude, really? I don't know this guy at all. I was not you into know, soccer. Hold on, hold on, hold you don't on. know who Zinedine Zidane is? Zidane. That's Zidane. No, 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 Zidane. No, 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 Don't do his weird Canadian pronunciation. It's just Zinedine Zidane. Zinedine Zidane. 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 What did I say? Zidane? What did I say? I don't even want to remember. Yeah, something like that. Cool. Which, Zidane? Did he say Zidane? I said Zidane, I think. Ah, that sounds dude. right. <laughs> all right, well, this is... We're going to need one of those signs that says, like, podcast episodes without a mispronunciation. And then, like, how many underneath? And we're still... <laughs> we're we're at one. zero. I think we've been at zero since the day we've started, so... I, f- I feel like there was a couple of good ones in there, but these past couple of weeks, man, between Bournemouth and now Zinedine Zidane, we're getting our, getting our butts and kicked. Apparently, Sabachu, we've been pronouncing that the wrong the whole time. <laughs> so, but anyway, his son is on trial with Inter-Miami. I don't know a whole lot about that. He's just Inter-Miami's, and that's exciting that his dad's a big deal, so that's exciting. Um, the Philadelphia Union, here comes probably another botched pronunciation, uh, but they signed a 20-year-old midfielder, Leon Flack. 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 I, I Flack. came so close, man. Ah, Leon Flack <laughs> uh, for 250K. He's a U.S. dual international. He also has some citizenship with Germany, so that's exciting. Um, but yeah, those are a lot of MLS transfers. Through those four, Josh, um, which one stuck out to you the most? Which one do you think is the most important as we get ready for MLS getting ready to crank back up here soon? I think the most important ones are those two defensive midfielders that you mentioned at the beginning, Thiago Santos gone from Dallas, and then Eduardo Atuesta. Apparently, you know, getting all that interest from Palmeiras. I mean, and I think the most interesting part about both of these defensive midfielders is that they both play extremely different roles for their team, or did. Santos probably wasn't playing up to his price tag, and the fact that Dallas are willing to ship him away so close to the start date of the season says that they really feel good about who they have. And I've been seeing his name thrown around a lot, but it seems like they're going to be relying on homegrown Edwin Cerillo. And Cerillo was getting a decent amount of time, I think, in 2019, but we didn't really hear his name a lot this past season. So I'm, I'm really wondering if they feel like he's taken the necessary steps to be the guy for them. And then for Atuesta, I mean, we all know how important this guy is to LAFC. I mean, he is arguably their most important player. Not their best player, because the best player is definitely Carlos Vela, right? He's the best player on the continent, probably. However... He's probably the most important player because they always struggle when he's not on the field, no matter who they're playing against. So I don't know that LAFC would let Atuesta go now, and I feel like $4 million is pretty low. I feel like that's a low valuation for Atuesta, who's only 20-something. He's in his 20s, so I feel 23, like... 23, 24, I think. I'm about to, about to confirm on Wikipedia, 20s. but... 
he is 23 right now. He'll be 24 in June. And I think he's already I think he's already the captain for the U23 team for Colombia. So like he's already an important player for them. <laughs> I'm on his Wikipedia page right now and by the way, it says that he is a Palmeiras player on on Wikipedia. So I find that hilarious. It says that he's been loaned from LAFC if you look under his senior career. I I don't know who saw that somewhere and felt like they needed to put that in his Wikipedia, but that's what it says. Uh, Connor, what do you think about these uh, these sort of signings, rumors happening over the last week? Obviously, things have slowed down a bunch as we get close to the season. Yeah, I'd say I didn't even know Philly made a move, and I had no idea FC Dallas transferred that guy. Uh, I saw the LAFC thing, and it's interesting. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Atuesta is worth more than the $4 million price tag, but he is on an expiring contract. Uh, I think it expires at the end of the season, which automatically makes his value lower, uh, as we've seen in the past, and it just makes smart business sense in that situation. But I think $4 million, it might be a fair price at this point, given the fact that he is on the expiring contract. Uh, although, as Josh, you just threw in the dock, uh, it doesn't sound like Palmeiras is going to meet that fee. So I doubt he gets moved, but maybe we'll see a contract extension. And I did see the Enzo move announced thing. Uh, I He's not very good from what I gather. Uh, so I think it's a lot of name value there. Uh, although I do have a question. Did Zinedine ever play with David Beckham? Probably because Beckham played for Real Madrid for a little bit. I'll do some quick sleuthing, but I do want to say that they played together at Real Madrid. Well, I wonder if this is a nice favor from Mr. Beckham bringing Enzo in on a trial who probably couldn't get a contract anywhere else. That is probably a good assumption. Yes, but hey, maybe he's unbelievably good, and we—he's just never been utilized in his twenty-six years on the planet. Uh, so, uh, either way, I highly, highly doubt he factors in in any way, especially given the fact that he would count as an international slot. And Inter Miami, I doubt have very many of those left at this point. So, Beckham and Zidane did play at Real Madrid for a few years together. So, yeah, this definitely seems like, hey, friend, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you and your family out. I'll let, Just drop your son off here for a little bit. We'll see what he's got. Yeah, we'll bring him in. We'll give him a vaccine. We'll send him home. There you go. Sound good? Good. Thanks for coming. Uh, just keep this in mind when Gareth Bale wants to leave next season and we come calling, you know. Maybe take a little less for him to come here, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, these aren't very massive moves apart from maybe the Atuesta thing. And that's just a rumor at this point. So it's ramped up to the season, as you said, Josh. So I don't think we can expect very much, uh, from any of these transfers apart from, and I'll say it again, as I always will, even though in this case it was to subtracting from depth and to addition of depth, but depth is going to be very important this season. And anytime you can bring in, Another player, you should do it because there's going to be a lot of injuries, a lot of international duty, and in a compact schedule, you're going to need as many players as possible. But Drew, do you have anything you want to add to these signings after you talked about them, sort of breaking them all down? 
Yeah, not a whole lot. I think I agree with you, Connor. The Atuesta thing is probably the biggest deal. And it's really interesting that Brazil kind of feels like it's came out of nowhere getting this relationship with MLS. And I think we talked about it with Brenner leaving Brazil, going to FC Cincinnati, that Brazilian clubs seem to be hit harder than most by the pandemic and not getting the same funds coming in. And it's interesting that Palmeiras is trying to buy one of MLS's best players. Um, So I find that interesting. And I think we're seeing the fact that Brazil is being hit hard because like you guys said, I think I agree with you. His $4 million asking price seems kind of low. I think he has a $3.8 million mark value on transfer market. And that still seems kind of low. So even that they can't match that is just saying that Brazil has been hit really hard by the pandemic. Some of them teams are trying to buy players and still can't meet their asking price. Um, that's just kind of yikey and uh, going with the times that clubs are being hit hard by the pandemic in financial ways still, like Josh said, even though it's been about 13 months and we're still feeling the effects of this thing. Um, and yeah, the Diego Santos thing, I think that's awesome. Uh, he came to Dallas from Palmeiras. So this is like a Brazilian episode. This is like Brazil's debut on the MLS Multiplex podcast. It's great. But Dallas spent about 700000 to get him, and they're selling him for about one, a little over $1 million. So that's awesome business, getting um, selling him back to Brazil and making a profit. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, everything else, I mean, yeah, like you guys said, it's slowing down a little bit. Uh, we had a pretty fun off season, but season's getting cranked up. But I think the biggest thing for me is – I would say Tiago Santos, Dallas. I think that's good business, freeing up international slot. What they do with that international slot remains to be seen. They've been linked to some players, some kind of unrealistic. Uh, they were linked to a Roma player. I totally forgot his name. Javier Pastore. Yeah, that maybe that oh, happens. God. Maybe no, it doesn't. thank you. Oh. Hey, hey, you want to hear what's even funnier? Apparently Atlanta was linked to him too. He was. They were the other MLS club. Yeah, that's what people were saying. That makes zero sense, whatever. Both of those moves make zero sense. FC Dallas isn't known for that kind of flashy DP signing, and that doesn't even okay. fit Atlanta's profile either. So, have, Javier Pastore at this point in his career is not a flashy signing. I mean, okay, yeah, He's but his name holds a TAM deal. Yeah, you're right, but his name holds some weight to it. I mean, it's not like he's a nobody. That's true, but he's well, well, well past his... Good years, I guess. I saw a Roma fan say they they were also an LA United fan. They're like, don't do this. <laughs> They're like, this guy has barely played with all the injuries he's been dealing with. Just don't, just don't do it. That tells you anything you need to know about that. Yeah. So whatever Dallas does with that international slot, I have no idea. But I'm a big fan of that transfer, uh, buying a player from Brazil and selling to Brazil for a little bit more. One thing I wanted to add before we jumped on um, about Leon Flack. I mean, I know that we like know nothing about this kid, but I like the profile of the signing. The fact that the Union have picked up a 20-year-old midfielder from Europe. I can't remember which team he was last with, but he's definitely coming from Europe. I think that's huge because, I mean, they just got rid of Brendan Aronson. They just got rid of Mark McKenzie. They, as Connor has said many times over the last few weeks, this is a great depth signing at, at the least. But at you know, the ceiling of this signing is that maybe Flax you know slots in the midfield where Brendan Aronson was, or maybe he can cover for uh, Jaimiro Montero if he goes down with injury. So I feel like I feel like this is a a good move for them, and it might end up being a surprise signing. 
What does this, I'm legitimately asking this question, what does this do for international slots? Because he's U.S. dual international, so how does that fit in the roster makeup of Philly? Um, I'm not sure what the ex- exact um, you know, nationality for him is, so I don't know if he's going to take up a roster slot or not. I'll try to look on MLS's website since they've been updating stuff for the last couple of days, but I don't really know. Yeah, that's an interesting signing. That it seems like I read the article that T- Tommy Scoops wrote, and it seemed pretty high on that kid. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps up a couple little action before MLS gets ready to start going. MLS again starts April sixteenth, and Concacaf Champions League starts April sixth. So in the coming days, we get MLS action again. Um, but before we got to MLS action, we had a lot of international action. We had the U.S. men's national team. Uh, the senior team will start We'll start with the good news. We'll start with the good stuff. Uh, played Northern Ireland uh, on Sunday and won 2-1. to one. Uh, Gio Reyna scored off a wild deflection. That was pretty hilarious at that. Found the back of the net. And then Christian Pulisic converted, uh, earned and then converted a penalty. And then I have no idea who the Northern Ireland player was, but that goal was absolutely phenomenal. So it was toward the end of the match. So that was exciting. So the U.S. won 2-1, beat Northern Ireland. Uh, Josh, that game Sunday, a couple, couple days ago, what are your first, before we get too in-depth on it, what are your general thoughts of the United States? It was the first win for the United States over a European team on European soil in like forever. So that's good, but how? What, what are you taking away from this game versus Northern Ireland? Yeah, I think it was their first European win since 2015 is how long it's been. So the fact that they went six years without winning on European soil and finally was able to do that is, is a big deal. That's the thing I'm most... What, what about Wales? They didn't beat Wales. They drew 0-0. Uh, oh, yeah. I thought they won. And okay, Mexico yeah. lost to Wales. Well, I guess to be more specific, this is the U.S.'s first win over a European, appoint, uh, European opponent on European soil because they beat some CONCACAF teams on European soil, but that doesn't fit the stat. So, yeah, the fact that they got a European win over a European opponent in Europe, big deal, first time in six years. So I, that's the thing that I would like to take away most from this, maybe. We'll get more into it in a second. <laughs> Drew, what did you take away from this match? I Not a whole lot um, before we get too in-depth on it. I mean, a win's a win. The goals were something. There were some brighter moments. I think as we talk more about individual players, there were some improvements, some solid things that I like to see, some interesting things that we saw that we can get into. I think the biggest thing that was... Oh, Connor, did you have any thoughts you usually like to roast us whenever we skip you talking about the united <laughs> yeah, states before you get all yeah, upset so uh, now is your time to shine my time to shine yes and the match i didn't watch <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh not really many thoughts uh i think reina scoring is good pulisic who doesn't belong on the u.s men's national team apparently according to you josh uh, I do want to ask you about. I do want to ask you about that. That's a fun. My point. opinion has not changed, and I did. Re- I went back and uh, listened to that podcast over again, and I was not very clear in what I meant to say. So, yeah, no, you weren't. Uh, <laughs> but maybe we can get into that in a second. Uh, I think Pulisic scoring again is good. Uh, the fact that it was only a two-one win against Northern Ireland is a little worrisome considering it's Northern Ireland. No offense if you're Northern Irish. Uh, great country. I've been there. Uh, but 
yeah, the U.S. of 300 and, what, 60 million people should be demolishing Northern Ireland of a few million, probably not even up to 10 million people. So, yeah, uh, two ones a little worrisome, but, you know, the U.S. always do that against a small country, so it's no surprise. But <laughs> I want to know what you guys thought about the U.S. formation um, and how you think they performed in terms of tactically in this match against Northern Ireland. And I'll aim this question mostly at you, Josh, because you are probably more uh, capable, I guess, of tactically making, astute, you might say. Well, or <laughs> maybe not tactically astute, more the fact that you, you actually watch the game uh, <laughs> over myself. And Drew, I don't know if you watched the game, did I you? I did watch the game, absolutely. <laughs> I am right. I'm, a, I'm as just as astute as Josh <laughs> about <laughs> astute students of the U.S. Men's National Team. But yes, I did watch the game. All right, you astute students, as you like to call yourselves. Uh, what do you think about... Oh, we can't pronounce names, and we can come up with words. <laughs> that we that, can. Yes, we can do that. Uh, and we'll see if you could come up with a good opinion. So, Josh, apart from your Pulisic take, which is not a good opinion, uh, <laughs> so you're already starting from a not good spot. Let's see if you can find a little bit of redemption talking about the three back the U.S. played against Northern Ireland. So let me first clarify about <laughs> Christian Pulisic and my comments I made about him last week. Um, so to be more specific about the point I was trying to get across, right? I think that Christian Pulisic should be inclu- included all the time. He should be in every squad. I think he's the best U.S. player for now that we have. However, I just think that in terms of chemistry on field with the current makeup of the team – you know, maybe he is best used as a super sub, which, you know, obviously enough, that's basically what he does for Chelsea now and what he was doing for Dortmund before he got sold to Chelsea. So it's not that I don't think Pulisic should play or, you know, not that I don't think he should be on the team or that the team is better without him. I think they're better with him starting on the bench, perhaps. It depends. As of right now, maybe not because who you're going to replace him with him in the lineup especially in that wing spot, which the U.S. is not super um, not super deep at the wing spot. So just wanted to clarify that. But in terms of the tactics on Sunday's game, I thought it was really interesting to see the U.S. change so drastically from what they've done in literally every other match under Berhalter up to this point. They've never really played in a back three. They've never set the team up that way. I thought it was smart, and I think it is smart because – if you looked at their personnel, right, this puts two players in good positions, Anthony Robinson at left wing back and Serginho Dest at right back, so right wing back, I should say, which he's pretty much already playing with Barcelona to begin with. Um, so I think it was smart to get those players into positions that they are most comfortable with. I also think it's smart when you look at who they have at center back. If you had a center back pairing of, let's say, uh, John Brooks, Aaron Long, and Chris Richards, I mean, that's pretty good. You've got Long, who's your rock in the middle. You've got Brooks playing on the left since he's left-footed and can you know, play those awesome passes. And you've got Richards on the right, right-footed, same thing. Really progressive passer. So I really, really like them moving to a back three, trying that out, especially based on the personnel you have. Now, it worked out against a team like Northern Ireland. Once again, no offense to any Northern Irish listeners out there. But when you have 
a back three of Tim Ream and Matt Miazga, and I think Aaron Long was the other third one, like, it's okay in a game against Northern Ireland. Against Mexico? Heck no. They're going to get ripped apart. Against pretty much any team, that's not a good back three. So I think I'll be a little more excited if they can utilize a better a better roster, I guess I'll say, better better players available for them. It worked out this time. I'm glad to see them flexible. You're going to need stuff like that when you're in tournaments. You're going to need that tactical flexibility. Injuries always play a factor, right? Form, uh, fitness. So good that they're learning, I guess, what we could probably call a plan B. Drew, what did you make of them moving to back three? Back three? We all know that the 3-5-2 is your favorite. This quite, wasn't quite a 3-5-2, but obviously playing three in the back. What did you think about it? Yeah, so I love the back three. I love the idea of it. I always play a 3-5-2 in FIFA. That is the one cool thing. That's my only personality trait is I like going with a back three. So that's all I got for you. But putting aside my love for a back three, I I guess we'll start with the positives. I like that they tried it out. I like that they tried something different. I like that they won. Um, I think you bring up a good point with Anthony Robinson and Serginio Des, how much they get up it kind of feels like they're just already a midfielder anyway. So just push them high up the field on their center back to kind of help that out. So I like that idea. But my biggest concern with having a back three is what, because, yeah, they played that 3-4-3, and obviously this game against Northern Ireland, they had some roster issues where they did not have some of their best midfielders available. Wes McKinney, Tyler Adams was not available. So when you look at the back three, my question would be, who would you take out of the midfield to a company for that four-man midfield, right? Because I think the midfield is Serginho Dest, Yunus Musa, Anthony Robinson, and I'm totally blanking on who is the fourth person in that midfield. Is it Kellen Acosta? Yes. I think it was also in the midfield. Yeah. Okay, so that was your four players in the midfield, which, I mean, we've talked about Kellen Acosta before. He didn't have the best game, I don't think. But if you go with that... If you play with a back three and you play a 3-4-3, then and you say we the U.S. has a totally full, ready-to-go roster in midfield, is peak, best players available, best players healthy, I who who do you pull to fit in players? Because would you pull... Because Serginio does play on the right, and we saw him play on the left, so maybe that's a new option. And then you would have someone else playing on the right, and you'd have Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams somehow trying to fit into those other two midfield slots, which then you could play a 3-5-2. But then I don't know how Greg, we've talked about Greg Berhalter does not like playing with two forwards. It's not going to happen. So, I mean, to me, if you play a three, four, if you play with a three man back line, that is going to imply that you're going to play with a four man midfield. And I just don't know how you can shove your best midfielders into just four. Right that that just because you got some guys right on the right on the left that kind of only really leaves you with two midfield spots and some of your best players are midfielders so you're trying to put the best players on the pitch at the same time and I just don't think a three-man back line would allow you to do that but like you said Josh I like that they tried it out it's experimentation maybe with injuries and with players just informed the fact that they did this 3-4-3 might benefit them in other situations, um, but I'm not sold on it. I love the idea of a back three, but I don't understand how you can fit the best players on the team, on the field, with that formation. So I think you bring up a very interesting 
point posed an interesting question about the the midfield two specifically. And I think at that point, it just kind of depends on who you're playing against. If you want a more defensive approach, you can have Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney in there because you know McKinney will know when to get forward, but he's also going to be good at putting out any fires in, in the midfield and just making sure things are okay. I think, but obviously you lose Musa and his ability to drive the ball forward. I think if you need to do that, then you can maybe take McKinney out and put in Musa and still have Tyler Adams as sort of that, that coverage in the back. If you want to go really attacking with a back three, then you can have Musa and McKinney and you can just rely on the back three instead of having a, you know, a number six that sits in front of the back line. So while it does, you know, take away a player, I think there are you know, also many tactical flexibilities that you can use with that back three. And and like I said, and, you know, as you guys pretty much agree, you're going to need that flexibility come time for tournaments and stuff. And again, it's also going to depend on the opponents you face. You never know if, uh, you know, you're going to need sort of defensive stability of having a back three and when you're going to have to sit back. So I think it'll be something to watch. Uh, I'm curious to hear what, uh, I think we'll start with you, Drew. Who are your big winners and losers from this match against Northern Ireland in terms of the players? Who do you think really won in this game and you think benefited the most from this match? Yeah, I think my winners and losers are some players we talked about a little in the last episode, mainly on the loser side of things in the U.S.'s last match. Um, But to me, um, the two... I think I put, how many people did I put down? Yeah, the two biggest winners that I had was Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic because they both got goals. And I think last week we talked about how they didn't really live up to expectations. They didn't play that well. But I thought obviously both getting goals and Gio Reyna, I think we talked about last week, he had like five shots, I think, in their last game. And none of them went in. He came really close to scoring a goal. So to finally see him get a goal in the weirdest possible, that was the worst chance I think he had had in the two games that they played. And of course that's the one that scores. So it's happy to see him get a goal. Christian Pulisic, I thought that was a really good penalty that he earned really good play. Um, Link up play in the final third for him to win a penalty and then convert it. I thought was really good. Also another winner that we didn't talk about at all, but I thought Tim Ream played really well. I thought he did really good that he earned the assist on Giorena's goal. And he just, it was really weird. It's a weird assist because what he did was so simple, but he literally just stood there. That's how I play in FIFA. So if you want to know how I play in FIFA, I give the ball to my center back and I just stand there and let my opponent move around and pass the ball and repeat process until it gets in the back of the net. And Tim Ream just stood there and was calm, got the ball to Gio, lucky deflection, whatever, found the back of the net. So I thought he played really well. Um, But I'll go ahead with my losers. And this is it's a loser, but not really. And I hate that he is a loser. I think, honestly, I think Josh, we're on the same page. And I say this, but Daryl DK, I thought was a loser, but I say this with the, the most, he, he earned a goal. He should have scored. He had so many good chances, but he didn't put him away. And he has been on fire lately. And I say this with a heavy heart because I never thought I could love an Orlando city player so much, but this guy is so good. But he should, he came so close to scoring, and I wanted him to score so bad. He had that one chance. I thought Pulisic played a really good ball to him. I think the Irish goalkeeper made a really good save on him. And then he had a header that he tipped just wide. 
So it's he should have scored a goal. Um, he's been on fire lately. He'll eventually get his goal. But there wasn't a whole lot of losers, I thought, in that game. But I had to hesitantly go with Daryl DK because he came so close to scoring a goal, but he did not. So that was my winners and losers of that Northern Ireland game. Josh, you gave me a lot of that thumbs hurt. down when that I specifically me. said Daryl DK. No, I no, say that no, it, no, hurts it literally me too, hurt but me like, to bring my hand up and do the thumbs down because of the vaccine. Like my my arm is sore right there. So uh, I can't help you. With that. Hurt yeah, my arm hurt. For me to give you the double thumbs down, but it was worth it. You deserve <laughs> it. True. He he came so close to scoring, but he just didn't. That's why he's a loser. He played phenomenal. He got on the end of really good passes. Pulisic played him a great pass. <laughs> I forgot who crossed in that header, but he came so close to scoring twice. And he just didn't do it. Yeah, so Daryl DK, one of the winners in my book, uh, I thought he was. I thought he did an excellent job of putting himself in position <laughs> to score. Exactly. Well, but he didn't so score. What? We didn't need the goal. We, so what? That's how you win soccer games. We won the game just fine without him scoring. Yeah, look. Just look, fine. We won by one. All right, but only because, you know. Northern Ireland scored a worldie at the end of the game. Like, come on, that, that goal was, like, amazing. Anyway, DK played well. I like that he was putting himself in position to score. Yeah, he didn't score. It happens, okay? I think of all the people we can give a break on the not scoring thing, it's Daryl DK because he's been doing plenty of it recently. So I put him as a winner. I was just really, really impressed with how he handled himself in what was just his second cap ever. Uh, I also put Pulisic and Reyna as winners, be- really because they scored, but also because they looked much more comfortable in this system. I felt like because of the defensive stability of the back three, I guess we can say, it allowed them to be a little more free and to roam a little more. It looked like their roles were a lot more flexible and they were allowed to just kind of find the game and do what they wanted, which can suit players like that. So that was really good to see. My losers, though, I put Kellen Acosta with the disclaimer that the man played both matches full 90 minutes had to cover the six by himself and is in preseason right now so I will say hats off to him for surviving because that's just brutal they made him travel overseas and play 180 minutes of soccer with tons of responsibilities and so he looked tired against Northern Ireland. Definitely affected him a little bit. And then I also put Robinson as Dest as losers because the system is supposed to benefit players like that. But I felt that those guys didn't do enough given the system. So something to keep an eye on, I would say, moving forward. If the back three comes back and we see those guys as wingbacks again, I'd like to see them do a little more. Going back to your Pulisic take, we're not going to let you ever live this down. But you talked about last week how you thought when Pulisic played CONCACAF teams, they were just going to yak him down and CONCACAF him and Alabama football linebacker just knock him out. Did you, and you said he's a winner this week. We both agreed he was a winner. Do you think that was a factor of it not being a CONCACAF opponent? Or did you see any difference at all, really? I don't know. I I feel like I'd have to see more of Pulisic against non-CONCACAF opposition which, unfortunately, there just aren't a lot of opportunities for that in the first place between the scheduling and Pulisic's constant injuries. However, maybe we'll get a better look when they play Switzerland at the end of May, and hopefully he is fit and available so we can sort of get a better idea. But 
I mean, maybe. I didn't feel like they were especially hacking him down, so I guess it's it's possible. And another winner, Connor, did you place a bet on this game? I did. I, I would guess this was a loser. Is this a loser or a winner? It's a winner. I put two fifty on this game. All right. For some reason. Wait, two dollars and fifty cents. Yeah. Oh my goodness, you got to clarify no. that, man. Yeah. I was freaking I, out. Oh, I was. I said that as a joke. I thought you meant two hundred and fifty dollars. No. I oh. am <laughs> smart with my gambling, and I don't go over the top, uh, which you should do uh, if you are gambling. Don't gamble. You should go, go, over, go the over the top. I think you, it no, sounded like you should go over the top. That's you should have like gone over saying. the top for this U.S. game. Apparently, you would have won well, more. Well, for some reason, they had the U.S. to win the game. Uh, odds were like 2.0. So you double your money if they so won. So you won $5? So I won 5 bucks on a 250 <laughs> bet. Now imagine if you'd done five $250. You'd have $500. You'd have, have pockets, like 20 bucks in my account, but yes. <laughs> but then eventually, I don't know how long it takes to get this money back, but eventually you'd have $520 in your pocket. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I just do it for fun because it's fun to put parlays and stuff together. And when you're only betting $0.25, $0.50 cents, uh, a game, you know, that's money you can have some fun with at this point. Like, I took, yeah. Uh, so... I don't know. Bet responsibly is probably the bottom line to all this. Gamble responsibly. Uh, don't be stupid. And uh, if you have an addiction, call someone and figure, try to help yourself uh, because you don't want to end up in lots of debt. And this should be for fun uh, pretty much only if you're not professional, which I presume everybody listening to this podcast isn't. But why don't we dive into the U23 game? Because we've been talking about the Northern Ireland game for quite a while. Uh, and I feel like this is going to get much more entertaining than hearing you guys just gush about the U.S. Men's National Team. So what went wrong against Honduras? Well, the goalkeeper made a really bad pass. That was one thing. <laughs> yes, there's that. I I didn't really see much of the game, thankfully, <laughs> considering how the game turned out. So, you know, it was a lot easier for me to be apathetic about it. Um, but I don't know, man. The vibe that I got from people watching the game a lot closer than me just kind of said that the team kind of lacked drive and lacked heart. And there just was no intensity from the U.S. U23s, which oddly enough, as we're sitting here recording this, they're is a tweet that just popped up in my feed uh, from Sebastian Saucedo, who was on the roster as a winger. And he said, quote, we lacked heart, we lacked effort, we lacked the desire to want to qualify for the Olympics, end quote. So that probably sums it up. And it's super disappointing. And obviously the goalkeeper error doesn't make things any better about the situation. And, you know, nobody had their best players available, but... At the end of the day, the U.S. should beat Honduras. They should probably beat any team that's not Mexico. And it's just disappointing. I think the way they went out is most disappointing, right? I could I could handle if the U.S. played really well and just the ball didn't bounce their way, you know, as, you know, as happens in soccer games. But that was not the case for this. So, obviously, uh, incredibly disappointing. Yeah, I think... Uh, first off, Jackson Ewell's goal was phenomenal, so that was awesome. I think that was probably one of the bright spots. But what's fascinating to me about this game, and we might get into its importance here in a second, as people, it seems that people put this loss on different scales of importance. 
but it's just fascinating how one game has changed so much so fast, right? That if they won the game, qualifying for the Olympics, the American soccer train moves on, bouncing back after not qualifying 2018. The whole narrative is changing. But just one game, one goalkeeping error, because the U.S. lost by one, so that goalkeeping error doesn't happen. Then 1-1 extra time, penalty kicks, who the heck knows what's going to happen. But it was one game, and it just changed. It feel, almost it feels like it changed everything. It changed the whole story around U.S. soccer that we can't qualify for the Olympics again. I think it was, was that the third straight Olympics that there won't be a U.S. men's team. Um, we should note the women will probably win gold because they kick everyone's butt. So U.S. soccer is in just a good space for Let's Olympic not soccer. bring up women's soccer in the Olympics. Oh, Alex, please that, and thank 2012, you. Alex Morgan. That was a fun game. Um, yeah, that but, game you shouldn't have won because, yeah. Terrible officiating, but hey, man. Hey, yeah. roll with the punches, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's just interesting to me how one game changed so much and how it's just wild to think because I feel like in a lot of things in soccer, when it comes to knockout tournaments, kind of getting used to this whole leg aggregate system and just one game I feel like has changed so much and people are taking it. Some people are taking it very seriously because the U S again, isn't qualifying for the Olympics and some people are taking it not so seriously because at the end of the day, it's not the world cup. It's different. It's U 23s. People recognize that, this was not the best United States U23 players that were on the field because FIFA, and that's just a whole weird situation. But it was, it stinks. You want to see them qualify for the Olympics. You want to see the U.S. play in every tournament they can. But we talked about it a little. Credit to Honduras. They've been to, this is like their third or second, something like that, consecutive trip to the Olympics. So Honduras deserves some credit. It's not all the U.S.'s fault. Honduras had to take advantage, and I think they did. But Josh, I wanted to ask you because the Twitter, the Twitter verse has been a very awful place to be in following this game. Because again, some people are making it out to be a huge deal that the U.S. is not qualifying for the Olympics, and some people not so much because it's not the World Cup; it's just the Olympics. Given the circumstances, that was not the best team. So, to you, is the U.S. not qualifying for the Olympics as big of a failure as some people are making it seem, make it out to be? Absolutely not. It's it's really not that big a failure. Is it a failure? Yes, because, you know, as I said, the U.S. should beat teams that aren't Mexico. Um, so, no, I, I don't see it as big a failure as other people do. Again, my, my bigger issue is the way they lost. I think that's a culture issue that I think is getting better with the current, you know, first team head coaching staff and the new crop of players that are coming through and growing up together. I think we will, you know, ideally see a shift in the national team culture that produces, you know, good, good morale. And, you know, we see passion on the pitch at all times. We're still working on that though. I think it's, you know, it's safe to question Jason Kreiss and why the Federation decided to pick him as the U23's coach. Um, I think we'll be asking a similar question, should the U20s struggle under Anthony Hudson, who was awful for the Colorado Rapids. So I'm not a a fan of those coaching hires, and 
perceivably the effect they have on their players. But no, I don't see this as big a failure. I think at the end of the day, this is this was a choice for U.S. soccer. What's more important, the first team or going to the Olympics? And I think it's an easy argument to make that the first team is more important because you need to build up chemistry. You've got qualifiers starting at the end of the year. And just imagine if the U.S. fails to qualify for another World Cup. That's a bigger deal, for being honest, right? That's a bigger deal than our U23 team not making the Olympics. So if the first team and those U23 players that were with the senior national team, if they built up the chemistry that's going to pay off you know, in seven months, in a year and a half, in hopefully two years you know, when they've gone to Qatar, then I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that trade-off. But yeah. It's still a failure, but just not as big as some people might say it is. Just a quick question because you mentioned, because the senior team is playing as the U23 team is playing. So did U.S. soccer have a choice in who was playing? Because it seems very like clubs like Chelsea, Dortmund were not having to release, didn't have to release Pulisic, Reina, et cetera, for qualifying, but they had to for senior team. So it kind of feels like that wasn't a U.S. soccer choice, that they were kind of just dealing with the hand they were dealt, which then brings up, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but some people were not really happy at Land United for not releasing Miles Robinson. <laughs> but so was that like, because I'm seeing it as that, that's not really a U.S. soccer thing. That was just kind of them having to deal with the hand that they were dealt, which is ultimately up to FIFA. Yeah, and it's it's the windows. I mean, they, they sort of overlap because the U23s went into camp together a couple weeks before this particular window opened. And remember, teams are not sanctioned by FIFA to let players go for what are essentially youth tournaments. And the Olympics is considered a youth tournament, so they don't have to let those guys go. There was talk that maybe the U.S. could have worked out a deal where you have your camp and you know you, maybe you play your first group game in the Olympic qualifying and then you let some of those older, better players join midway through camp. But then that presents issues of its own in terms of the chemistry and fitness and travel and the timing just isn't very good. So yeah, definitely sort of the situation they were dealt and there could have been some ways to kind of work it around it, but it wouldn't have been beneficial in the end, I think to either group. So again, that's sort of a choice that us soccer had to make. And regardless of the whole Atlanta thing, like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's unfair to say that because you didn't have one player, you didn't do well. I, I would like to think that as good as Miles Robinson is, if he's getting bad information from Jason Christ, then he would have played just like the other center backs. In which case, it doesn't matter. So, but who knows? We'll never know. It's all hypothetical. Sorry. And speaking of the failure that the U.S. men's national team, E23, uh, guys had or didn't have, what did you guys think about the Taylor Twelman Josie Altador beef? I was. I thought it was really interesting. That's all I'll say. It was, you know, entertaining is probably a better word. They made it out to be a lot bigger deal than I think we do on the podcast. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't really know why Josie's going after a guy who's paid for his opinions, but here we are, I guess. But yeah, what's up? One thing I just want to add to that is I hate that Bobby Warshaw is the name that Josie Altador threw out in his tweet after Twelman because Warshaw has not done anything with mlssoccer.com and extra time radio in like over a year and like like his his kind of role on the podcast i don't know if you guys ever listen to extra time but he was kind of like everybody's punching bag 
So I always sort of felt bad for Bobby. And so the fact that he's like getting this from Altador and it's not someone like Matt Doyle or Andrew Wiebe instead, like I feel, I feel bad for Warshaw, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting situation nonetheless in terms of Josie deciding to attack a media member for his opinions, but there may be something going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. We have no idea. Uh, all we know is there's a Twitter feud, and that's that. But let's quickly go through Canada uh, and all that fun stuff uh, because they'd failed to qualify against uh, Mexico, unsurprisingly. Is this seen as a failure? Josh, you asked this question in the doc. Are they, no. Are they a failure, Connor? Uh, no, because their team wasn't very good. Uh, Sounds like you guys should raise your standards. Well, we are a 30 million person, 36 million, I think, at this point, person nation going up against 300 million. And I can't remember how what the population of hey, Mexico is. Hey, but size doesn't matter. Okay. Yes, true. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that the Can- Canada did lose to Mexico to nothing, and that was a game that eventually did not let them qualify for the Olympics. If Canada was playing someone besides Mexico in CONCACAF and they lost to not qualify, would it be seen as a failure? Or is it not a failure given... Does the fact that it was Mexico impact it being a failure or not? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. 100%. Like, I think if it were... It really depends on the opponent. Like, if we were playing Honduras, I expect Canada to go through to the Olympics, uh, which is why I was shocked the U.S. lost. Um... And if we're playing the U.S., I see it as not being a failure because the U.S. are a better team and a bigger country than Canada. Uh, they have a bigger soccer program than we do at this point. So it is very dependent on... <laughs> Josh, you really want to say something, but let me finish for a second. It's really dependent on the country that they're playing and the quality of the opponent that decides whether or not it's a failure that they do or don't qualify. Because if we're being realistic, Canada was probably the the fourth, maybe third, maybe even fifth best team in this tournament. Uh, Back to your large program comment. Uh, It's a very big soccer program that is not run well. I think you forgot about that part. No, but it's also a big program. Uh, And is there a single soccer program around the globe that is run well? arguably yes who but they have their flaws i mean i would say any of the world cup winners probably did pretty good to a certain i think extent. iceland does pretty good considering they have a bunch of dentists That's and true. actors the when, show. I, when i said size does not matter that is immediately where my mind went because iceland is yeah, puny that's, they have like that's where your mind went only a couple hundred thousand that's where your mind went. uh people on their continent so we can't use that as an excuse we're such a we're so US. all right let's so, talk about <laughs> something that's a lot bigger than your standards uh and that is canada's win over the cayman islands where they <laughs> just steamrolled that poor country 11 nothing um it that is could not have what been, the doc says you have to say it could what have the been 111 says. as somebody put in the doc because <laughs> that was an ugly you're welcome respect to canada yeah, that was an ugly game um they didn't even play other best players either. Like Atiba left. <laughs> That's disrespectful. <laughs> it's true. Atiba left. Cavallini didn't even start at striker. Uh, like, yeah, that was a. Whew. <laughs> They're not worried about goal differential at this point. Let's put it that way. 
Um, it's a shellacking. Yeah. So I apologize to the Cayman Islands. You know, we don't like to do that to any country. Uh, although I will say at least we didn't celebrate our goals past goal number seven or eight or whatever. Like some people on certain countries That's, like that. That seems kind of weird. I feel like if I was going to score a World Cup qualifying goal, I would celebrate it no matter what the score is. I feel like but that's just you're... me. Maybe that's an American thing to say. Who yeah. knows? Uh, wow. Weird that it would have been an American thing to do. We'll never know. Yeah, we'll never, never know. Uh, it's never been. It's never happened before where they've faced criticism for <laughs> celebrating a goal and the entire fan base has uh, gone against everybody saying, no, we don't have an issue with you scoring the goal. Uh, it's the celebration and then promptly saying, but it's a World, Qual- World Cup game. They should be allowed to score and ignoring our arguments completely. But, you know, I'm not bitter. Uh, so, World Cup champs. Never. We got four. Yes, World Cup champs, sure. Um, we got but four. In other new- <laughs> Shut up. In other news, uh, finally wrapping up, let's mention some EA Sports FIFA stuff because I thought this was hilarious. Uh a couple of informs from the Canada-U.S. friendlies. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Sebastian Legette got one on the U.S. Nice central midfield inform. And Alfonso Davies got a left wing inform, uh, which is interesting because I thought Kyle Aaron was a bit more impactful and did a bit more and was a bit more informed. But, you know, I'm not going to p- complain considering I packed Davies earlier today. But, you know, that's just my own life so why don't we dive into the champions league stuff and we have to do this a little bit quicker because i do have a podcast i've edited after this and we've been going for almost an hour at this point let's start with marathon which is in honduras versus the portland timbers which is on tuesday for each of these games we're going to give our prediction for the final result and mention a few key points surrounding the game so let's start with the boring answer, which was Josh. Oh, my results for Portland Marathon in Marathon. I went with a 1-1 draw. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a boring result or whatever, but I think it's the most realistic. got to remember Marathon is currently in the middle of the season, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so they're a little bit more fit. This is... Preseason for Portland, they're also missing, you know, a couple players, and we all know what happens to the MLS teams around the 70th-ish minute of these games. It's kind of when they crap out. So I think it'll be 1-1. It'll be close, and it'll be a useful enough result for Portland to maybe win in the home leg, in the return leg, but it's going to be tough no matter what because it's CONCACAF on the road. Drew, what's your prediction, score prediction for this? I am a little more optimistic toward Portland. I am going to say a 1-0 win for the Timbers because it feels like everything that should go wrong for Portland never goes wrong. They just are scrappy. They can park the bus better than anyone, and they somehow find a way to win. So I'm counting on them to do that again, and I'm going to say a 1-0 win for the Timbers to start it off. Connor, what is your prediction for this? Is this the first one of all this? Is this like the first game we get back? Wow. Man, what an honor to be a marathon in Portland. What a great day. Um, Connor, what's your prediction for this game? Almost as much of an honor as the Jays kicking off the MLB season today. You talk about Josh having a boring prediction. You have the most boring prediction. I thought I'd change my answer, but I didn't. Uh, And I still back my pick. Uh, 
read what you're about to talk about first, folks. But uh, my prediction is a nil-nil match because I think Portland's going to try to hang on for dear life and <laughs> try to get to the home leg uh, where they might have a little bit of an advantage. So, yeah, I'm going nil-nil. It's boring, I know. But, Josh, what do we need to know about this game after making our predictions that could very well be changed by what you're about to say? Yeah, so... You know, first I want to say that a lot of this is a guessing game because, you know, like I said, MLS is in preseason right now. You know, we're still on a whole unsure of kind of coaches' plans, teams' plans. But I think with Portland, we can be a little safe in what we're going to say. Uh, for example, I'm pretty sure they'll be in a 4-3-3 lineup very similar to what they, they did all last year and what Savarese prefers with his team. Um, you know, the most important aspect of this is they're still missing Sebastian Blanco. So... The Timbers will be lacking that game-breaking player, and I think that's important to note. They're also still missing Nia's Goda, Yaroslav Nia's Goda, because he tore his ACL at some point this past season, so he will not be at the team for a while. I'll be looking out for Jeremy Abobasi. I'll be curious to see what he can do um, in CONCACAF on the road, and I think we can expect Portland to kind of sit back, counterattack. You know, the less running, the better for them, so... They'll definitely put up a good fight. There's there's still a team with a lot of talent, even though they'll be missing Blanco, Nia's Gota. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that's what we can expect. 4-3-3, counterattack, you know, really, really uh, get out and transition. All right, let's hit the next match, uh, which is your club. I guess we'll go a little bit more in detail on this one because you guys are fans of Atlanta. But Al Huense... Uh, there you go. I was about to put it no, out for I you. I know how to say El Juense. Uh, is playing Atlanta <laughs> Tuesday as well. El Juense, obviously from Costa Rica. Uh, so, Josh, what are you, or Drew, you're doing this one, actually. Drew, tell us what we need to know about this game before we do our predictions. Things to know about this game. That's a great question, Connor. No, um, but the thing <laughs> I think... So this is going to be... Wait, is this, is this about to be a discussion board post? <laughs> I agree. That's a great post, Connor. I have to respond to two of my podcast mates before midnight. No. Uh, my take on the Atlanta game, and I'll try and keep it kind of quick and leave some room for Josh here, but I, I'm i really interested because it's first match with Gabriel Heinze. Um, personally, I think Marcelino Moreno is going to tear it up. I think he provided a lot of really exciting glimpses when he was in Atlanta before the end of last season, so I'm really excited to see that. And I'm also really excited and nervous to see what the heck happens with this center back situation because no one really knows what's going on, and they play a game in five days. So I think Atlanta's defense is going to be, eh, because they're playing under a new manager for the first time in CONCACAF uh, on the road without a center back really to join Miles Robinson in there. A lot of new players, Santiago Sosa, Franco Ibarra. So it's going to be really exciting. It's going to be a lot of new players. So I think it's going to be a fun match. Uh, We've seen a couple preseason matches. I don't know if you've taken a whole lot from those games, Josh, but we've seen a little bit of Joseph. He doesn't look like the full normal score 34 goals in a season, Joseph, but he's he's playing soccer, which is a great thing to see. Um, But given all that, given the confusion around Atlanta, I think this is going to be a rather a goal fest because I think Atlanta's attack is going to be really good. I think Atlanta's defense is going to be really bad. I'm excited to see Ezekiel Barco because he hit an incredible free kick in a friendly. That was awesome. And Moreno is showing really good that he's going to live up to the hype. So I'm saying 2-2 draw. Josh, what are you looking for really quick going into this game? And what's your prediction for Atlanta Aloense? 
The main thing I'm looking for is what the heck are they going to do? Because, like Drew said, there's been a couple preseason matches, but there's been such a mix of like veterans and regular starters and then like new players that we're pretty sure aren't going to start. Heinze has not once put out like a, a true first choice starting 11, I don't think. And that's really left a lot of us fans and observers kind of in the dark. So I am just really intrigued to see, you know, what they're going to do. I am, I'm with Drew. I think the defense is going to be shaky. I don't think the attack is going to be that good yet, though. I think it's going to take some time for all the players to be on the same page in game situations. So definitely a question mark around that. Therefore, my prediction for this game, I've got Alawalense winning 2-1. to one. I think Atlanta will find a goal, but I think that defense and their style of play is just going to be so shaky at first that they kind of struggle and give up a goal or two. And again, fitness is a huge deal for all the MLS teams because in preseason, but it's an even bigger deal for a team like Atlanta who will be pressing high. They will for sure be doing that. That is Heinze's style. So for teams like that and some other teams we'll be talking about very shortly, Philadelphia and Toronto, definitely something to watch for. Drew, what is your score prediction for this game? He's already done it. Just kidding. I was clearly paying very much attention. <laughs> Playing chess again. <laughs> Please cut this out. Please cut this out. No, uh, that's not getting no, out. That's getting <laughs> I have something wild that I will talk to you guys about after this that has happened. Connor, what's your score prediction for this game? <laughs> okay. this We clearly have a very high standard for this podcast, uh, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> but I'm, I have more faith in your club than clearly both of you do. Uh, I also think you should keep in mind what my prediction is before you hear what their prediction was uh, a couple games from now. But uh, I am going with a 2 nothing Atlanta win. I think you are underestimating the Atlanta United entire squad, the influence that Gabriel Heinze will have on them. Uh, because Ala Huense knows absolutely nothing about them, I think that it will take them a little bit to adapt and to figure out a game plan. Uh, and at that point, I think Atlanta will get a couple by him and they'll just be able to sit uh, deep, not really be threatened, uh, really play like an ultra defensive sort of style even though that's not necessarily fully Gabi- uh, Gabriel Heinze's system uh, and I think they'll be able to hold on to a 2 nothing win but I'm also being very very optimistic on that front in terms of Brad Guzon being able to make some saves because I am not very high on him if you couldn't tell by now but Josh what did you need to tell us about Atlanta you just said uh, I need to tell you something. No, that's for after. Oh, okay. That's for after the podcast. You have to subscribe to our Patreon to get this information, listeners. So yeah. Venmo <laughs> drew $105, and we'll tell you what happens. Yeah. He'll DM you. He'll DM you it. Uh, but <laughs> Saprisa, Costa Rica against Philadelphia. Josh, what do we need to know? Philadelphia are going to come out in the same old style that they've been playing in the last couple years ever since Ernst Tanner arrived at the club. So expect that high pressing, you know, Red Bull sort of style that we've gotten used to the, the German Gegen pressing. Um, I, so <laughs> the biggest thing about Philadelphia right now is they're not super healthy when it comes to their attackers and their strikers. They will be missing Casper Shabilko and Sergio Santos for the first leg, at least if not the second leg that only leaves Corey Burke. And I believe Jack DeVries uh, is the other player, as a homegrown player. Uh, Corey Burke 
hasn't played much with Philadelphia over the last uh, year or two because of some visa issues with uh, Jamaica and the U.S. So he went on loan to Europe, uh, but he's still kind of getting used to the team. I guess Burke is going to start, and Jack DeVries has been dealing with a concussion, and so I'm not even sure if he will be available for this game. Because of that, and because Philadelphia kind of messed around with this a little bit in the preseason, I think we might see a 4-2-3-1. Um, I think they're going to switch up the formation a little bit. I, stay, I think they'll still press a lot. That'll obviously be a big part of their style because that's just who they are now. Um, but the formation change is something I think we should keep an eye out on. That being said, for my prediction, I've once again got a 2-1 victory for the home team, which will be Saprisa. I just think that Philadelphia is going to tire out at some point and Saprisa might get that second goal. It might be 1-1 for a while. And you get that that late goal from Saprisa, but I I just don't think Philadelphia will have enough, and I think the strike the striker depth is going to play a huge factor in this, and in the way that they'll play, it's going to be probably a little unfamiliar. Connor, who do you have for this score prediction? Switching it up. I will always back the MLS club, so I'm going one nothing Philadelphia, even though they have no strikers. <laughs> That's a bad way to live life, um, man, my friend. C- hey, CCL fever has not taken hold It's yet. really Clearly, good that you don't bet a lot of money if you're always backing the MLS clubs, actually. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Uh, I'll have you know that MLS isn't available on the app I use, unfortunately. Uh, so I only bet on basically basketball, hockey, and international soccer, which uh, international soccer is actually quite good to bet on. Uh, I've won quite a bit of money doing that. but And by quite a bit, I mean maybe a couple dollars. Did you bet uh, on the European <laughs> games? We got North Macedonia beating Germany? Yes, but we won't get into that because that is a whole other conversation involving Germany. Uh, but yeah, I'm going one nothing Philadelphia because I believe in MLS uh, and for absolutely no other reason because they're most likely going to get beaten by Saprissa. But Drew, what is your prediction? Uh, I am not backing the MLS club in this one, or really in most of these. I'm saying one Smart nothing. <laughs> Thank you. I am saying one nothing Saprisa because of what Josh really talked about. They have no strikers, and I have no idea who's going to score their goals. So because of that, I think they're going to pack it in and not going to be able to get anything out of it. But around, I think it's going to be kind of a late winner. We're all going to get our hopes up about Philadelphia, and then they're going to get crushed because, like Josh said, around the 70th minute, they just can't keep up with it. And Saprisa finds that net. And I, a lot of this, I don't know anything about any of these uh, Costa Rican clubs, but Saprisa is always in this competition. So you know they're good. So I'm taking one to think Saprisa. All right, let's go to the next game. And uh, I want people to keep in mind the respect I showed them before they give their predictions. Um, <laughs> but uh, obviously, I'm talking about Leon, which is in Leon, Leon, whatever. It's a stupid Mexican team against Toronto. Um, so basically, uh, I'll do the tactics and stuff and all that fun things because, frankly, we don't know anything. Uh, at, <laughs> Toronto played a preseason match today. Uh, Akinola is not going to be available, I believe, because of injury. Josie Altador is likely also not going to be available because he's never available. Uh, Efuninachi Achara, if you remember him, who tore his ACL in the training uh back just before the mls's back tournament he is not going to be available he's still going to be out for a couple more months so right now toronto's striker is going to either be alejandro pazuelo or patrick mullins so hey he scored today 
he did score today. Uh, nice little tap in off, I believe, a Jacob Schaffelberg cross, but it might not have been Jacob Schaffelberg. Uh, so we don't really know what they're going to do. It's going to be a pressing system. It's going to be a pressing game. But other than that, we have no idea, frankly. Uh, we haven't seen really any footage come out of Toronto FC apart from a goal today, uh, a couple of clips from their preseason match, uh, in which, interestingly, Alro Jr. took a penalty. So maybe we have to keep that in mind for this season if he becomes their penalty taker, considering how terrible everyone apart from Pozzuolo is at them. But, boys, just hit me with the disrespect. How badly do you have Leon beating Toronto? I I don't have a score prediction for this. Just that Toronto is going to get slapped. Uh, that's that's all I can offer up. I think you know some very it's very sound professional analysis. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, if I had to give a score though, I would probably say three nothing, maybe three one. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you guys have the striker depth is is rough for Toronto as well. And it's not like Philadelphia, who have at least a bit of a system and history in place over the last couple of years. You've got this fresh start. So, side note, I see that Akinola is learning many things from Josie, including how to be injured all the time. Yeah. Drew, you got a score prediction? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of <clears throat> how to say that, this really long number. Is that two trillion? <laughs> Two four eight three nine two zero seven. Okay, so while Josh does that, I'll give you a real one. I said, <laughs> I said you two just... nothing, Leon. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. Again. Sorry. Before you talk, can we just address what Josh did to break up the numbers first? Sorry, I know. I went he from started the one comma <laughs> at the highest number as opposed to the lowest. I was guessing. I was taking a guess, and I guessed wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well. Drew, let's just hear this number. I'm just, uh, I, you can't hear it because I don't I know how to say it. it. I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it. Drew, Drew's official score prediction is $24,839,207,493,080 to nothing. That is Leon winning, by the way, if that needs how any many, clarification. How many goals a minute would they have to score for that to happen? I don't even want to think about that math. It's got to be like <laughs> – it's got to be like – a. A billion a minute. It's going to be in the billions. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for the disrespect, Drew. What is your real guess? Yeah. What's the real, real prediction? (laughs) I think I said two to nothing. I was a little more respectful. I was talking to Connor before we started the podcast that I know nothing about Leon except that they're really freaking good. So that's all I got. I'm gonna say two nothing. I'm a little more optimistic than Josh is, Connor. But LAFC beat them last year. They did. That was also with this is Toronto FC. Yeah, yeah I know. I was these are say, two completely different teams. Yeah, uh, two completely different teams with completely different players with healthy DPs. Um, so casual subtweet there. But uh, I was a bit more optimistic. I only went one nothing, Leon. <laughs> and there's a reason for this. Leon are definitely a better team. Overall, they're going to be better than Toronto. There is no question about that. They will win. I think it's going to take them a while to figure out what Toronto's doing, though, because nobody, and I mean nobody, unless they've pulled the leads and sent a spy to watch a Toronto FC practice, have any idea what they're going to do. We know it's going to be pressing, but that's it. And even then, who knows? They may not play a pressing style. And 
I think it's going to take them a while to break us down, even though I think they'll be able to score uh, at some point. I wouldn't completely rule out Toronto in this match. I think they have the quality to potentially make something happen and really make some noise in this tournament as long as they can get players back healthy uh, or if their young guys step up. Uh, Jaquil Marshall-Rudy, maybe. Jaden Nelson. They've got some young players available who could potentially fill in in terms of some of that attacking threat. And I wonder how much they're going to factor into this match against Leon. But let's move away to our last match uh, because we've been going for 75 minutes, which is Real Esteli from Nicaragua against La Columbus 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 Crew. <laughs> uh, that was. Were you, gonna, were you about to say the? It's not like you were about to say Le Club de Foot. Like it's not like yeah. you were about to say the uh, the impact. Oh wait, sorry, that's not real anymore. <laughs> no, uh, the club, the foot. Uh, no, I I started doing a French accent, and every time I do a French accent, it's for Le Club de Foot. Uh, and I don't know why I added a second L, but... And then you realize Esteli, this is a team in Ohio, the most yes, least France place in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Real Esteli from Nicaragua against Columbus Crew. Josh, what do we need to know about this match? What we need to know is that Columbus is going to be really freaking good this year because all they did to their really good team from last year is get better. Um... I would expect them to come out in a four-two-three-one, like they, you know, like to do under Caleb Porter. The lineup, I do think they're going to be some curveballs. I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a BWP start, or, I mean, you never know. Maybe Sebastian Morris start. Um, Aiden Morris, sorry, getting him and Sebastian Berhalter mixed up their names. Um, so I don't know. You might you might see some rotation to start. Maybe Porter doesn't want to go all out to begin with. Um, maybe there'll be some injuries leading up to it. You never really know. But I think the four two three one is a pretty safe guess. Um, I think that you know Columbus will fare the best of any of the MLS teams next week. I have them winning two one over uh, Real Esteli. There's just going to be too much to handle. I still think they give up a goal. You know, like I've said for all these other matches, these MLS teams are not fit yet and they're going to get tired around the 70th minute, as always. And that's probably when they'll let in a goal, or maybe it'll happen earlier. Again, these, these players, these teams, they're super rusty right now. But Columbus has a lot of talent. They've brought over a lot of that talent. Porter is very clear in his system and his message to the players because he's now entering his third year as manager there. And so I think Columbus gets the 2-1 road win. I think we all predicted them to get through into the second round anyway. So this will set them up nicely for that. Drew... What's your score prediction for the Columbus Esteli game? I went with a very similar score prediction, not as optimistic as Connor is, which he will tell us in a second, but I went with 2 nothing Columbus. I think you hit the nail on the head. This team is going to be really good this year, and I think this is going to be the the tease of what's to come later in the season, both in MLS and if they make a deep CONCACAF Champions running. So I think it's going to start off on their right foot. So I'm going to say a 2 nothing Columbus win. Connor, you love the MLS teams. We've both picked MLS teams. What what are you thinking going for Columbus's CONCACAF Champions League game? A 50-1 win for Nicaragua. I'm kidding. Um, obviously, that's a stupid number, but it could get close to that depending on how good Columbus play. So I went with 4 nothing Columbus 
because they've added unbelievable amounts of talent this offseason. They have a ton of depth, which I think will come in handy uh, in terms of late substitutes, because I believe they have the five substitute rule still in place, correct? Pro- I'm pretty sure. It would make sense. Uh, so they'll be able to utilize all of those. And I think they have a very, very good team. And I don't think Real Esteli stand any sort of chance. So I went for nothing, but we'll see whether or not that comes true because it's so hard to predict these Champions League matches. And we are going to either be unbelievably correct or unbelievably wrong. Uh, probably more likely on the second half of that sentence. But do we have anything we want to add to this episode? Or Drew, would you like to take us out? Yeah, thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning in and listening to us talking about Major League Soccer as the season is so close. The last episode we have without games in five days. As we're recording this, April 6th, Champions League is back. So we're really excited about that. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, uh, you can catch up on the written content for the website written by us three and some other awesome writers on the website at MLSMultiplex.com. And you can find the website on Twitter at MLSMultiplex. You can find us on Twitter, myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Connor at CWG Somerville, and Josh at Josh underscore Bullen. So be sure to give us a follow on Twitter to see our takes as games happen because games are so close and we're very excited about that. So thank you guys so much for listening from wherever in the world you are tuning in. We appreciate all of our listeners. And as always, please leave a review on the podcast. We love hearing ways how we can get better and improve. So please leave a review. We love hearing from you guys. And as always, thanks again so much for listening. And we will talk to you all next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.